this is a Soul Fire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. It's a good time. Went down to Texas myself for a little recap here. It was one of the most Texasy trips I've ever taken to Texas since leaving Texas. Um, got to go hunting. That was fun. Started off the first night, shot a pig. Got to do, there was so many, so many pigs. There's <laughs> so many pigs in Texas. It's insane. They're out of control. But then the next day, uh, I was able to get on a, uh, a pretty good-sized deer, which I was very proud of, very happy, happy to happy to make that happen for myself. It was the highlight, one of the highlights of my year, for sure, with good friends. Kelly was there. And really, I mean, I even got a little bit emotional about it because as a kid, and some of you may not give a shit about this, it, but it's okay. Just be here for it, you know? As a kid, as a fat little 12-year-old, as a pudgy little fuck, I... um. I would just try so hard to be a deer hunter. You know, I'd sit out there, I'd freeze my ass off. I'd sit there in the sleet or the rain and it would just go as much as I could, but we couldn't really afford like, you know, good deer leases where you, cause there's a lot of, there's not really any public land in Texas. So you'd end up just trying to do your thing um, on a deer lease that was just not good. And there was hunters everywhere and I'd go a whole season sometimes and I wouldn't even see a deer while I was hunting, you know, I'd see them driving by them and stuff, but I never would see one. When I was, I, you know, it, it was hard. I think I killed a couple of deer throughout my, like from when I started hunting at like 12 to, to 18, but I stuck with it. I stuck with it. I got back into it when I was in Austin and then took a couple of years off and just always had a longing for that. And, and having never killed like a good Texas buck, you know, and spent so many hours and hours and days and early mornings, uh, sitting in a tree or sitting in a stand somehow and just trying to figure it out and, and, and not being able to make it happen to see, you know, to make it happen in Texas, you know, close to my hometown and, um, put that all together. It was really nice for like the, the little, the little, the little fat 12 year old inside of me. That's just, <laughs> that's just wanted so badly to see a good deer and make it happen. So that was really the highlight of my Thanksgiving. But as I said, I hope you all, all had a great one. Um, Glenn Maxwell's not having a great, uh, did not have a great Thanksgiving. I think she was still in like solitary confinement, which is really what she deserves. Um, of course, she's been a little bit mistreated, but that's what happens to pedophiles in, uh, in prison. So we're going to discuss that just a bit and just to do a little bit of a refresher on what, what was going on there. We're also going to get into this, uh, this rogue SUV that attacked people at a Christmas parade. Um, the Pfizer CEO had a few things to say about, about continued vaccinations. Of course, Chris Cuomo was suspended. So that's big news. And, um, you know, some stuff that's really not fun. This Michigan school shooting, just terrible, tragic. It's not a, it's not a high vibe show today. Um, maybe we'll curate one for next week that, that compensates with higher vibes, but yeah, that's where we're at right now. Matthew McConaughey is not going to pursue the gubernatorial race in Texas, which is kind of a bummer. I was really looking forward to seeing that. Um, yeah, that would have been fun. And we have uh, this Roe versus Wade situation kind of working its way through the Supreme Court. Now, they're not ruling on an all-out ban of, of Roe versus Wade, but... 
there were maybe some adjustments when it comes to viability and how viability uh, affects the laws and regulations of what states have the ability to do. Really curious to see where that's going to go. These, these, these discussions always get really heated. Um, so it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. But we're here and we're doing it. So we'll keep covering that. Guys, if you want more content, if you want more content every week that you can influence, there's a, there's this situation, and this is this is the beautiful part about capitalism, right? Is that you can literally own a piece of me by subscribing to the Patreon for six dollars a month. You can own a piece of me and force me to talk about things that maybe I don't want to talk about, but maybe I have very strong opinions about that I avoid for various reasons, whether it be internet censorship or general. Um, disgust with the kind of comments that I get on my video sometimes <laughs> that I have to just straight up fucking avoid. But when we put that shit behind the paywall, it's a lot more friendly and we're curating like a really great crew of people there that ask amazing questions. So every a bonus episode every week, every episode of this podcast without ads, um, every episode of the thought criminals podcast next year, uh, without ads. So get in there, make it happen. It, it's a great way to support me and doing what I'm me doing, what I'm doing and just independent creators in general. I try to, put, try to put my money where my mouth is by supporting other creators as well. And also generate a little bit of good karma and consume good content. So if that sounds like something that you're interested in, check it out. The link is in the show notes of this show. It's patreon.com slash politically homeless. And with all that being said, let's get into the state of things right now. Oh, yeah. Be back, baby. Oh, it's always weird getting back into the groove after a week off, you know? It's always weird getting back into the groove, but I think we'll be all right. We'll see. We're at the beginning now, you know? Sometimes at the beginning, you think it's going to be nice. And it's not. But hopefully, we'll have a good time here. So... We've seen a lot about this. Um, this guy, Daryl Brooks, fleeing the scene of some kind of dis- domestic dispute, um, decided, and this guy's posted some pretty crazy shit on social media, um, also a bi- bipolar, um, sex offender, all kinds of, I mean, pretty violent and, and intense record, um, runs through a, a Christmas parade. Um, yeah. Just runs people down through in a Christmas parade. And it's a lot of the th- stories that want to line up here, but I really want to cover what I think is also important. I mean, also, the loss of life here is without a doubt, hands down, the most important part uh, of this situation. But I think as we look at this and try and zoom out and, and look at the kind of the more chronic issues that exist within our culture, we've got to look at how this was covered and what it says about where we are as as a country, really, because these media narratives, like it or not, they influence the way people see things, people's opinions. Um, I mean, they're policing thought in a way. We'll put that out there. But right now we've got um, six dead, including children and some grannies from a granny, uh, granny marching band thing. I mean, just devastating, right? And you guys have seen this everywhere, so we don't need to hash this out too much, but six dead, numerous injured, terrible terrible tragedy. And I hate that I have to do this, but we're going to go to Breitbart right now. 
Okay, we're going to go to Breitbart right now, and it says establishment media blasted for labeling Waukesha massacre a parade crash. (sighs) Okay. Now, I don't want to do this. I don't don't want to fucking play this game. I don't want to, and and maybe you guys out there do, and that's what you enjoy doing. I don't. I don't sit here and want to say, hey, this is how how much different is this than the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, right? I don't want to, that's not how I want to approach this. Those are both really sad situations. You know, on one hand, you've got this kid who killed people, who's going to have to deal with that, right? And you've got this guy who is clearly off his shit, who killed people, and now their families have to deal with that. I mean, there's just a lot going on. And I don't want to, con- con- like, contrast that or compare the two too much because they are different scenarios completely. Um, there's no self-defense claim here. This is completely unjustified in every by every stretch of the imagination, right? But we have to... It's so egregious, the, the distinction between the two, right? So we have CBS News here um, happening now. The man accused of deadly Christmas parade crash... Right? Deadly Christmas parade. Now, they don't say his name. Just a man accused of a deadly parade crash, which makes it sound like an accident or a drunk driving situation. Was not the case. Another guy here, um, sixth person, a child has died in deadly Wisconsin parade crash. Watch live. Waukesha parade crash suspect makes first court appearance. Again, no, none of his, his name never makes an appearance here. At least six children injured in Wisconsin parade crash and critical condition, three others in serious condition. I mean, this is just insane. The suspect of the deadly parade crash, like it's just parade crash, parade crash. And then you have ABC News who does it right. It's not that fucking hard, right? ABC News. Suspect Daryl Brooks is a registered sex offender in Nevada where he was convicted in 2006 of impregnating a 15-year-old girl and has outstanding warrants in Nevada for failure to appear in court on a later related charge. Now, they go from that, right, to a sixth person, a child has died from injuries from Sunday's parade crash. I mean, (laughs) within minutes of what happened with Rittenhouse, his fucking name was everywhere. Everywhere. I remember this when it happened. I was pissed and I was freaked out and I was like, what the hell is going on? And of course, I drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid and thought that this guy had like shot a bunch of black protesters. But also, I at that point was accepting that there were riots going on. A lot, a lot of shit is happening here. And the fuck, I have to fucking go to Breitbart? I have to go to Breitbart? The biggest thing here is, why leave it? If you're literally any mainstream media outlet, why leave it to right-wing media? To, to actually cover this thing in some way that is coherent. I know, and the thing is, and, and somebody said this as, as I was listening to this, I know what the, the motivation here is to not to make this racial, right? It's not to make this about race. But what it also seems like is that the primary motivation in everything that a lot of these outlets do is to make it about race. So are we making it about race or are we not making it about race? <laughs> You know what I mean? And that's just so, it's sad and it's frustrating and it's, 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 it's embarrassing and so, on so many levels. That I mean, the fact that I was using DuckDuckGo, of course, to search for stuff here and <laughs> to find this kind of shit, I've got to go to Breitbart News. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a story in itself. And call this thing what it was. You can call it a parade attack. You can call it a parade massacre. You can call it 
domestic terrorism. You can call it all kinds of things. It fits into all those boxes. But the one, you know, round hole that you're trying to shove a square peg into is parade crash. Parade crash. I mean, that kind of sounds like a fucking Santa float fell over on people, right? Which could happen and probably has happened. And that is a parade crash. Or one of the one of the floats or whatever you have going down the road, you know, some horses get crazy and a chariot runs down the street and runs somebody down. That can happen at a Christmas parade. Some Oldsmobile hauling, you know, 3,000 pounds of people dancing around may have its brakes go out and hit a light pole. That's a parade crash. A motherfucker driving down the street, knowing what he's doing, running people down like it's goddamn Grand Theft fucking Auto is not a parade crash at all. That's murder. That's homicide. That's an attack. That is not a motherfucking parade crash. So why? What is the motivation here? And what does this say about us as a society right now? It's insane. It's absolutely fucking insane. And <laughs> they just tee it up. This is like li- the liberal media just tees it up for people like Breitbart to just rub it in their faces, this, this, this clear, blatant hypocrisy. Because at the end of the day, what it looks like with Daryl Brooks is that he was a race supremacist. He's called for violence. I mean, and if this was a white dude who attacked, you know, whatever, what would the difference be, right? Where would be, what, what, could be, what, what would the difference be? You tell me. Because I don't like to play this game. I don't find any joy in this. But fuck, man. Like, give me a break. And then <laughs> they had a GoFundMe. Is it, bail is at $5 million. People try and start to go fund me for this dude to bail him out. Trying to write and go fund me rightfully pulled that shit down. I mean, and this guy had just been bailed out for a thousand bucks for some other some kind of related situation. I mean, this is just crazy. It's crazy. And what are we doing? I mean, I just can't believe there's so many things here. One, the fact that this happened is a huge tragedy. And I just can't believe that these media outlets just tee it up for the Daily Wire and Breitbart to just like rub their faces in their own bullshit. <laughs> but that's where we're at. And this is a terrible story. And I hope that everybody who's who's in the ICU and recovering from this and injured um, makes it out, you know, and, and can kind of live some kind of normal life. I saw some one of the kids uh, who was beat up pretty bad. He made it home today, which is good. Um, but, you know, you can only hope the best. And I know there are numerous uh, fundraising things out there, GoFundMes and whatever for the families, which, yeah, I more than support that. It's just a crazy deal. And you got, you've got to point this out, though. I mean, the fact that we can't even trust people to get some kind of accurate information whenever something like this happens, some, this blatantly obvious what happened here, right? Just it's in your face and the gaslighting continues. We've got, I mean, we've got to do something about this. I mean, this is the thing. This is the reason the independent creators are so important and not to stroke myself off here, but independent creators, I mean, crystal and saga over breaking points, people like that, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, even Barry Weiss, who I don't really enjoy, but she is now at this point, an independent creator and kind of a loud voice. These are, these are important people. 
in this ecosystem because they're creating demand for something outside of the mainstream narrative that is at least informative, right? And gives you the opportunity to agree or disagree with the facts, but it doesn't gaslight you into believing something that's convenient for whoever has whatever agenda. It's fucking nuts, man. That's the state of the world we're in right now. So let's talk about the Omicron variant. Now I'm grateful that I had my frat days because I know that Greek alphabet and Omicron is quite a ways down. It's quite a ways down. Let's see if I can recite it real quick off the top of my head. I haven't done this too much since I was a pledge. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, Omicron. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at when it comes to, uh, comes to variants. So a lot of those you haven't heard about. Beta for a minute, Delta, and now we have Omicron kind of out-competing Delta. So what does that mean? That can mean a lot of things. But what I want to do right now is kind of contrast um, two different takes on what this could mean and what's likely. One, from Pfizer CEO, and then two, from this guy, Dr. John Campbell, who has, he's at 1.6 million subscribers on YouTube, and he's still on YouTube, which means that he's, he's towed the line enough. But as far as kind of pro-vaccine docs, this guy's pretty objective. He's had people on talking about vaccine injury and things like that, which I thought was really great. So he's, he's kind of my go-to for objective medical information that's not super biased or pushy and just shares information, does it in a way that you can tell this guy's taught this before because the way he explains things um, don't make you feel stupid. He's not, he's not talking over your head on purpose, right? He's going through these things in a very um, easy to understand way because that's exactly what we need in, in health leaders as opposed to people who, um, you know, just tell you what they want you to hear. So let's get this into here. This is the Pfizer CEO talking about where we can go from here. So Albert, if you do, um, sort of adapt your vaccine all the time and we can do it quickly and, and you're able to do that sort of in a, a flu vaccine type fashion um, to the new variants from COVID. Do you foresee that, that this would be, would you call it a booster? We'd get a, another booster every year or, or it would be a modified booster that that that's, uh, would provide uh, a better antigenic response than, than the original vaccine. Well, do you see this happening every year? We either get a booster, a boost, a regular booster of the same vaccine or a slightly different vaccine every year to, to deal with uh, what we're seeing with these mutations is that was that what you foresee it's, it's almost like a I mean for Pfizer you'd be selling these things every year and not that you want to do that I'm sure you're not hoping for that but <laughs> not that you want to do that Pfizer because obviously your motivation is public health and not your shareholders not that you want a product that we have to uselessly take over and over again because, you know, that wouldn't work, right? Because we haven't seen any innovation in birth control for this exact same reason. Because why would you? You take it every day. It's, it's given to girls that are like 12 years old. I mean, there's so many things that we take that are relatively useless. But if you're a shareholder for a company like Pfizer, well, why solve an underlying issue when you can just make a pill that pleases your shareholders and makes people feel like they're actually doing something even though... You're kind of full of shit. Continue. It'll be almost like an annuity for Pfizer. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I, I did make a projection months ago that the most likely scenario, it is that we will need after the third dose, annual revaccinations against COVID for multiple reasons, because of the immunity that will be waning, because of the virus that I'm sure will be maintained around the world for the years to come. 
and also because of the need of uh, of um, um, variants that will emerge. I'm more confident right now that this will be the case than I was when I made uh, the projection. I think we are going to have an annual revaccination. I don't know how we're going to call it, but it will be an annual revaccination, and that should be able to keep us really safe. Literally everyone, so, I, literally everyone I know who has COVID is vaccinated, and most people I know aren't vaccinated. So it's like, it's so funny. But then we can contrast that, right? So that's somebody who has a financial vested interest in selling these vaccines and government deals that are billions and billions of dollars. Their stock price needs to be high. They need to, their, their allegiance, their motive is profit, which is, that's great in a lot of industries. Markets are powerful. I get it. I'm on, I'm on board with a lot of that. But in healthcare, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. I mean, I can't wait to see the $130 million estate this guy buys in the Hamptons, right? In a couple of years. Like it's just it's just a never-ending money waterfall for these fuckers. Now, let's look at what uh, Dr. John Campbell had to say, which is something you won't hear from anybody like Fauci or the CEO of Pfizer or the Moderna CEO, because they have a vested interest in the opposite being true. These people do not want COVID to go away. They don't want somebody to think that natural immunity is helpful. That's not good for the bottom line, guys, at all. Let's, get, let's see what he has to say here. Is that a virus can't, well, I suppose it can, but it's very unlikely that a virus is going to be good at everything. So viruses, this virus can either probably uh, use its mutations to make you sick, or use its mutations to provide immune escape, or use its mutations to make it more transmissible. And, and it looks like the Omicron variant has used all of its mutations up, as it were, to make it more transmissible. Therefore, with it being so transmissible, it's less likely that it's going to make people very sick, and it's less likely there's going to be a lot of vaccine escape. Now, of course, we don't know this for sure yet, but there is precedent for this, actually, because if we think about, if we think about the, uh, the beta variant from South Africa that had good immune escape, that was actually outcompeted by the delta variant, which didn't have such good immune escape, but did have very high transmissibility. So what, what might happen is this Omicron variant might just take over the world, giving everyone really mild disease, making the whole world's population immune and making this problem basically go away. So, so that's kind of the best case scenario that could actually happen. That, that's not ludicrous because this is what happens with the, 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 the coronavirus, the four coronaviruses that cause common cold. They're all over the place. Everyone gets them, but they don't make people very sick. So is it that this Omicron variant is the best thing that could happen, that the virus has put all its eggs, as it were, in the transmissibility basket, to put it very simply? So it's got no eggs left over for the making people very sick basket. That's what we hope. And I think the early indications of this are quite promising. So this could actually be the best thing to happen so far, just in the same way that the Delta variant outcompeted the Beta variant with its immune escape. So it may be that the Omicron variant outcompetes the Delta variant in terms of transmissibility. That's quite possible. And because it's outcompeted it, and if it has a low level of making people sick, then that, that's it. The, the basic of this, this pandemic problem is over. Um, that's the best case scenario. We won't know that. In three weeks' time, we'll know that. So in three weeks' time, basically, um, you probably won't need to bother watching these podcasts anymore, and this won't be in the news anymore, because everyone will be getting the Omicron variant, and uh, it's causing minimal disease, but good immunity, and uh, it's everywhere. It could be the best thing to happen. 
The worst case scenario is that Omicron spreads everywhere, which it's almost certainly going to do, but it does make people sick. That, that, that would be a problem. But it would be very surprising if the virus is good at both. And, and that, that's what these academics are saying. We've talked to Paul Hunter on this channel, of course, ourselves before, and that's what does seem to make sense. So I think... So that's where we're at there. So let's look at this, right? What's the difference? So we said we have somebody who's intelligent and articulate on these issues saying, here's the best case, here's the worst case. Generally speaking, when viruses become more transmissible, they do not cause as severe illness. All right? That's been, so people have been talking about that since the beginning of this thing. Okay? And that turns this into what could be the best case scenario. We could be really stoked that the Omicron variant is hyper-transmissible and outcompetes the Delta variant while making people less sick than the Delta variant does, right? But you'll never hear that. When Fauci was asked about this today in his press briefing that I suffered through because I love you guys, he was like, well, you're talking about something really dangerous. You're talking about something really dangerous by letting people, a bunch of people get infected to find out if there's mild illness. When right now we have people that are infected in South Africa and everybody's got mild illness regardless of vaccine status. So what we're seeing now is evidence is pointing to this thing only causing mild illness while being incredibly transmissible, which is exactly what you want, which is exactly what COVID was going to always do regardless because the vaccines don't stop infection or transmission. Right. And I know I sound like a kooky fucking anti-vaxxer right now, but Jesus fucking Christ, man. Like we've been looking at this thing for two years now and we're still running around with our thumbs in our asses, not making any sense. Not making any sense. The best case scenario is that Omicron variant of COVID does not get you that sick and everybody gets it because natural immunity, as we know, is better than vaccines, longer lasting than vaccines, even though people that stand to make money on vaccines don't want to tell you that, or the federal government who spent billions and billions of your money and my money on these vaccines, they don't want to tell you that, oh yeah, by the way, if you're fucking young and healthy and you get this thing, you're probably going to be fine and you're going to have better immunity than anything else. And if you get a breakthrough infection and you're vaccinated, well, then you also have better immunity. That's like, the, that's like the soup de jour, right? That's what you want. That's the good shit. So here's where we're at. But I wanted to contrast the difference and people would say that like this guy, you know, John Campbell is a kook or does he seem that way? Does he seem that way, does he seem like he has a vested interest in being an anti-vaxxer? Is that what this guy looks like to you? I don't think so. But if I'm going to trust somebody, it sure as fuck isn't going to be Fauci, the Pfizer CEO, the Moderna CEO. Sure as fuck not the Johnson & Johnson CEO. Like, who am I? Like, who are we getting? We, we're left to this because we've gotten, we've had two years. We've had two years of this now, okay? We haven't, how much can you do for your health in two years? How much can you do for the health of your lungs, your body, your cardiovascular system, all of these things? How much can you do with that in two fucking years? The answer is a lot. A lot. People use, lose hundreds of pounds in two years. People make complete physical transformations in two years. But that's not the line, right? Which is what will help you more than anything else is being healthy. Healthy lungs will fight off respiratory illness Better than unhealthy lungs. I know, I'm a fucking conspiracy theorist. My bad. But it just seems to make a little bit of sense. You know, maybe I'm the, I'm the next Alex Jones by saying all of this. But Jesus Christ, man. The contrast between the two. Between yearly vaccinations versus like, hey, this thing's about to turn into an endemic like the cold. 
which has minimal effects, which is what we want because this shit's not going away. But if somebody can sell you something that might change things a little, or you might, like Tamiflu is a good example. Tamiflu, by the way, doesn't do shit. It doesn't do shit. But when you go to the doctor and you get a flu test and you're positive for the flu, guess what you get prescribed? Tamiflu. Every time, unless you have a really great doctor who's like, this stuff doesn't really do anything. It might cut symptoms by like a few hours. But really, at the end of the day, when you got the flu, you got the flu. You know what I mean? But it got pushed through via emergency use authorization during searing swine flu, and it's here to stay forever, and they're still stacking that cash. (sighs) The difference is astounding to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Let me know. You let me know if I'm making this shit up, if I'm crazy, because maybe I am. Maybe Maybe my cognitive bias is just so strong that I can't see the forest for the trees. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. Guys, I've said this a million times and I'll keep saying it. Quality over quantity when it comes to your supplements and what you put in your body. Now, if you want an elevated existence, I mean, if you really want to live your best life, well, maybe you should increase your focus, mental clarity, and cognitive function. Maybe you should relieve some stress, improve your gut health, and support your immune system and mood. Maybe you should get quality sleep and recovery. Come on, baby. Why wouldn't you? That's why I trust our homies over at Cured Labs. I mean, cannabinoids, medicinal mushrooms, and adaptogens. What else do you need? If you're looking for a gift for that hippie in your life, and maybe you got a crush on from yoga, and you're like, maybe I'll just get a little something. Cured nutrition all right so here's what you need to do you need to go to curednutrition.com you can use promo code homeless it's going to get you 10 percent off and free shipping they've also got sales going on right now just go to the website check it out click shop i'm clicking shop right now you got perform balance recover cbd drinks pets they've got cbd for your pets are your pets anxious they have separation anxiety having a hard time cbd them up why not help them relax your pets got sore joints maybe they're getting a little old Give them a little treat, a little CBD treat. Why not? Why not? One thing I love about Cure 2 is that they have stuff geared for different types of the day. So it's very specific. You want something for the morning. You want something before bed. You want a salve to put on your sore, achy body to make it feel nice and lubricated. Boom, they got you. They have got you. And they've got us. They support independent media. So that means that you got to go over there. I, I guess I'm not media. Independent content creators. <laughs> opinion 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 commentators um you need to go over there to curednutrition.com link is in the show notes of this show please click that one do it you got bundles you can get all kinds of stuff guys there's sales everywhere right now 10 percent off and free shipping if you use the promo code homeless at curednutrition.com i did not realize how much stuff was already marked down a little bit now is the time if you're waiting for gifts to get here from china or some other fucking place they are not gonna make it in time for christmas so instead give people the gift of cannabinoids and adaptogens and mushrooms give them to your mom give them to your dad give them to your sister your brother whoever great stocking stuffers Or also you can just stuff them in your face if you want to be healthier. This is all I got to say for you now, okay? This is it. This is the ad read. It's done. CuredNutrition.com, promo code HOMELESS. Go get you some. Link is in the show notes. Now, moving on to our next sponsor, the people that have been with us the longest, the people that I love the most, Element from Elemental 
Labs. Now, obviously, you can tell by our sponsors here that I'm kind of I fuck around with health. You know what I mean? I know that you need essential electrolytes. Magnesium is one. Salt is another. And sometimes you don't get all of that, especially if you're doing some kind of keto thing or some carnivore thing or you're trying to lose weight, especially if you're trying to lose weight. If you're going into 2022 and you're like, I want to get fucking shredded. If you're like me and you're like, I want my body back. I want my strong body back. I lost it and I need to find it again. Well, I use Element a lot. I drink about two a day. And I like them in the morning. I like the watermelon in the morning. I usually mix another flavor in during the day, usually during the show. Keeps my throat from getting dry. But also, it's just incredibly hydrating, especially when I'm doing things like sauna, when I'm working out. Right now, I'm really sore because I've been getting back in the gym. I'm trying to get it back. You know, I'm trying to get that physique. And sometimes, I want to eat at night. I eat too much at night, and I need something that's a little bit sweet and a little bit tart. That's what I'm feeling. That's what I want. I want frozen grapes, but I can't have frozen grapes because it's too much sugar. So I reach for the element instead to make a nice big glass of ice cold element. And I suck that down and I don't have the same cravings anymore because it's satiating as fuck. It's palatable as fuck. It's delicious. And it's actually really affordable. But if you haven't tried it yet, if you haven't tried it yet, it's developed by incredible people. Rob Wolf being one who is a health pioneer. So... If you haven't tried it yet, there's good news. All their best flavors are in their sample pack. And all you got to do is go to Drink Element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash Wanders. The link is in the show notes. All you do is click that. And you can get that variety pack. A few different, a few different, um, a few samples of each different flavor. There we go. A few samples of each different flavor of some of their most hard-hitting flavors. All you got to do, DrinkElement.com slash Wanders. Boom, you get that for five bucks. Just cover shipping, get it into your house, try it out, see if you like it. If you do, boom, double down, get yourself a big-ass box and hydrate away. You got to stay moist, y'all. Staying moist. It's a mistake I made. I didn't, I didn't hydrate enough in my 20s. I was dry and I was thirsty. And you didn't need to quench that thirst. Stay moist on the inside. DrinkElement.com slash wanders. Link is in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, Chris Cuomo, the Cuomo brothers in general, but Chris Cuomo has been under heat since his brother was, uh, you know, since he resigned, <laughs> right? Since he resigned over a slew of sexual assault allegations and sexual misconduct allegations and for just generally being an Italian. So this happened and Chris Cuomo has said things like, I'm not an advisor to my brother, um, when some things came out that he may have been assisting his brother in some certain things, and maybe even the Time's Up people who had gotten donations from the Cuomos um, had also done a little bit of work to help Andrew Cuomo out. Old meatball himself. All right, so CNN has indefinitely suspended Chris Cuomo after new details on help he gave his brother. So they write a bunch of bullshit here, but when it really gets good... Is right here. In scores of emails and texts between Mr. Cuomo and his brother's inner circle, he repeatedly offered advice. Please let me help with the prep, he texted a senior aide in March and made efforts to track down the status of pending articles on other news outlets, including Political, Politico, The New Yorker, and the concerned allegations of sexual harassment that concerned the allegations of sexual harassment by Andrew Cuomo. At one point, the, former, the governor's former top aide, Melissa DeRosa, asked the anchor if he could check his sources about a rumor that Politico was working on an article that including, uh, included ad additional accusations. On it, said Chris Cuomo. 
Miss James's report also included a text from Mr. Cuomo to Mr. Rosa sent a few days after a woman, Anna Rush, told the New York Times that Andrew Cuomo had made an unwanted advance towards her at a wedding in New York City. Quote, I have a lead on the wedding girl, Chris Cuomo wrote in the text. Chris Cuomo later told investigators that he had heard from a friend that maybe she was put up to it, referring to Miss Rush's allegations. He said that Andrew Cuomo's aides had disabused him of that notion and that he had set his friend's claims aside. So that's that, he said. For months, some journalists in the CNN newsroom have expressed bewilderment that at Mr. Cuomo's actions and the lack of discipline that he faced from the network. <sighs> Several employees said in interviews on Tuesday that Mrs. James' new report only deepened their unease. So what we're seeing here is that he was clearly advising his brother. He was clearly using his media sources and his, he was pulling the strings of power, if you will, to help his brother. Now he's indefinitely suspended, likely retired. So now we get to like not deal with the Cuomos, right? We get to not deal with the Cuomos anymore, which is really nice. I would like to see them come for Don Lemon next for also skating over this issue. But, you know, hard-hitting journalism is left to fucking weirdos like me on podcasts and, and YouTube, I guess. So what does this say? At the end of the day, George Carlin had it right. It's a big club and you ain't in it. And when you hold the levers of power, you get to pull the strings, right? You get to make the moves. You get to be completely devoid of accountability at every turn. That's Andrew Cuomo's life. That's the life of his, that his father gave him and Chris Cuomo. And the reason they are where they are is not because of some kind of meritocracy working out in the United States. It's not, it's not the American dream. It's because they had an advantage they had an advantage that they've used over and over again to exploit people and gain power and gain positions and get fucking wealthy as shit, right? And you're gonna play this song and dance, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna tell the people what that you think they should that what you think they should know about COVID or just the news in general, right? You want to do that, but you don't want to pay for your mistakes. You want to wag your finger at everybody else. But you don't want to pay for your own mistakes. That is a mistake that the Meatball Brothers made. And it's nice to see a little taste of accountability. So, Ghislaine Maxwell is on trial now. We're not going to see a live stream of that, which is sad to say the least. But the New York Post is actually doing a pretty good job of just like, running updates all day. Um, and there's a lot of, they're doing a lot of coverage on this, which is weird that this isn't everywhere, right? This is a huge deal. This is a huge deal, and it's not everywhere. It's not. I mean, the fact that, and I keep bringing up Kyle Rittenhouse, and I hate to, but Jesus Christ, it's just such a litmus test for where we're at. That got so much more coverage than the most prolific sex traffickers known to us to date, ever. I mean, I guess Genghis Khan could kind of be considered a sex trafficker. He had like a harem of hundreds of people, but that we know of in modern history. Let's just put it that way. So this is happening, not getting a lot of coverage. But I wanted to just go through this, and we don't know all that much. We did see that Trump, Clinton, um, I think Dershowitz is getting thrown under the bus, Kevin Spacey, like the crew, right, the homies. Um, the pilot did put them on the plane, so that's good. We'll see what's going on. I posted that. People are like, well, Trump said this and that. I'm like, dude, if I was, if you were, if Trump's a skis bag, okay? 
He's going to say whatever he needs to say to get himself out of trouble because he's a rampant narcissist in the same way that Bill Clinton is. But they don't even acknowledge it. At least Trump acknowledged it, so you do have to give him a little bit of credit for that. But I also admit that he could be completely full of shit because oftentimes he's completely full of shit. Sorry, it is what it is. So I don't really give a fuck what Trump had to say. I want to hear what other people had to say about Trump's actions, and no one as yet has accused him of anything aside from Stormy Daniels. So we'll see. But I'm open-minded to it. Not closed off to it. I don't think Trump was like a mole in this situation trying to uncover all of this. I don't think that Trump really gives a shit whether somebody's a seedy character or not when he's doing business with them. I don't think that he kicked Epstein out of Mar-a-Lago over this kind of shit. I mean, give me a give me a break. Do you really think that's what you think that Trump was like? Oh, he's 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 uh, he's morally impure. Let's get him out of here. That's not what happened. If you're if you're dumb enough to believe that, you need to be somewhere else. This is not the place for you. Just lost some listeners. Fantastic. So I wanted to go through this because I want to really like reiterate what we're getting ourselves into here and just looking at how these two groomed young women, like how it all went down. So we had one of the first victims testify. Uh, she goes by the name Jane, which is a pseudonym, obviously. It says, a woman who says she was sexually abused, abused by Jeffrey Epstein testified on Tuesday that Ghislaine Maxwell helped lure her into his orbit when she was 14 and descri- described how the depraved duo were giggling the first time they molested her. The alleged victim, an actress identified by the pseudonym Jane in court, said she was at Epstein's Palm Beach, Florida mansion in 1994 when the pedophile and his accused madam led her upstairs in the bedroom and moved her uh, onto the bed and took their clothes off. They started sort of fondling each other, she said, adding that they were casually giggling as she stood there. He asked me to take off my top, the witness continued. Then there were hands everywhere and Jeffrey proceeded to masturbate again. And Ghislaine was like rubbing on him and kissing him. Other times, Jane said the sick pair would lead her into the massage table inside a room at the house and show her how Epstein liked to be rubbed down, which correlates with everything else that we've heard about how this all went down. During these incidents, did Maxwell ever touch your body? Assistant U.S. Attorney Allison Moe asked, yes, Jane answered. She also described group sex sessions that took taking place at Epstein's lavish home in the mid-1990s when she and others, including Maxwell, would abruptly be summoned to his bedroom or massage room. <sighs> what would Maxwell typically do, Moe asked. She, along with others, would just start taking off the, taking their clothes off. The woman now in their for, the woman now in her 40s replied, Jeffrey would get on the massage table. It would just, you know, turn into this orgy. The witness, one of four alleged victims mentioned in the indictment against the British socialite, was the first accuser to take the stand at the Manhattan trial, telling jurors how Maxwell was there and she how and how she was abused by Epstein, at least through the age of 16. I don't know, but more than twice, the woman said when asked how many times Maxwell was present when Epstein abused her. It's hard to remember because it was... I was abused pretty much every time I would go over to his house, and it all started to seem the same after a while. Her voice broke as she described once being called to Epstein's bedroom during a trip to New Mexico with the sick financer and Maxwell. I just, as usual, felt my heart sink to my stomach, she said, because I did not want to go see him. Jane said, and this is the important part here, this is the grooming piece. Of course, that gives you an idea of what was going on, but this is really, to me, one of the most egregious, right? The acts are one thing, and they're terrible. But When we look at how these girls are approached, the positions that they're in, and how they're groomed for this service to these people, it's just absolutely fucking disgusting. 
Jane says she met Maxwell and Epstein in 1994 during the summer between 7th and 8th grade. Think about yourself when you're in the 7th and 8th grade. Think about yourself at 14. Think about your kids at 14 if you've got them. Okay, let's continue. When she was at music camp Interlochen in, in Michigan, her composer dad had died suddenly of leukemia about nine months earlier and her family had lost their home. So they're financially devastated. And I mean, if your dad dies suddenly of leukemia, you're probably pretty traumatized and could use a healthy male figure, which is when sociopaths usually sneak into your orbit. Let's continue. She was sitting on a beach with her friends when a tall, thin woman came over with a cute little Yorkie, Yorkie dog, and the man soon followed. My classmates left, and I was there by myself eating ice cream. And the man sat across from me. Jane recalled on the stand, she seemed very, or he seemed very interested in to know what my thoughts were about the camp. Adding that he was a benefactor who gave musically gifted kids scholarships. The grooming continues. Asked asked who the man and women were, she replied, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. They seemed very friendly. I thought they were a married couple. They seemed very inquisitive, she continued. Back home in Palm Beach, Jane said she and her mom were invited over to Epstein's enormous house for tea. It wasn't a pool house, she quipped on the stand where she, when she asked... When, when asked, excuse me, uh, she quipped on the stand when asked to describe the home, noting that at the time she lived in a pool house with her three brothers and her mom, whom she shared a bed with. For nine months, or for months after, the woman said she would hang out at Epstein's house every week or two on average, spending time by the pool in the kitchen and going to movies. She described one time seeing Maxwell and other women lounging by the pool, all topless and some of them naked. I was just shocked because I'd never seen that before, the woman said. The witness said that she she thought Max Maxwell was a little bit odd and quirky, adding that she saw her as sort of an older sister. She would ask me what I was up to if I had a boyfriend, Jane testified, saying that Maxwell once told her about dating. Once you fuck them, you can always fuck them again because they're grandfathered in. She described how Epstein and Maxwell took her shopping, including one time to Victoria's Secret, Les Wexner, um, where they bought her white cotton briefs. Epstein also st- started giving her cash on his visit on her visits to his home and began paying for voice lessons and brought her clothes and, f- and things for school. Both he and Maxwell would also brag about their famous friends. Initially, I felt special. Remember that. Initially, I felt special, which is what happens when you're in the orbit or in a relationship with a narcissist. Initially, you feel special because you don't feel you deserve their attention, and they use that to manipulate you and gaslight you into becoming exactly who they want you to be and force you to be or manipulate you into being grateful that you're allowed in their orbit. That's how the shit goes now. Jane said about the attention they showed her. It changed when the abusing started happening. Epstein eventually sexually assaulted Jane in the pool house on the estate where he just pulled his pants down and proceeded to masturbate on me, she testified. I was frozen in fear, she said. I'd never seen a penis before. These are children. Not long after the first assault, the woman alleged that both Epstein and Maxwell molested her in his bedroom. During the alleged abuse, Maxwell was very casual. Jane told the jury like it was no big deal. And the reason I wanted to, I mean, this is a, this is a dark episode. The reason I wanted to show that and and read that whole thing, even though I'm a shitty reader and we all know this, but it's important to know that this is like, this is one of dozens, at least girls who were intercepted, gaslit, manipulated, abused, raped, and felt helpless. Like this happened, this ruined so many lives. 
and we don't even talk about it. We don't even talk about it. This is not discussed. It's, it's politically inconvenient for people. It attacks the wrong people. But it's really bipartisan. Dershowitz, Les Wexner, conservatives. Bill Clinton, Kevin Spacey, liberals. This is not, this is, there's not a clean, you know, Trump, whatever. It's like you have these people, right? It's not cut down partisan lines. Democrats bad, Republicans bad. There's none of that. So there's none of that partisan bullshit that gets to go into this. So we can actually sit back and say, let's be on the same page about these horrible human beings being punished for destroying lives and being predators. They're fucking predators. We can sit and watch To Catch a Predator and like think about this one guy who's going over to some teenage girl's house with wine coolers and condoms, right? We can watch that and be like, oh man, that's so terrible. Dozens of fucking people, man. And of course, of course, these people working with the Mossad and the CIA, because if you know anything about the way the CIA works and that criminal organization, blackmail, blackmail is a big part of it. And what they're going to say in, in Ghislaine's defense is that she is a victim. And a lot of these girls have false memories. That's what she's going to say. It's gonna be, that's going to be part of the defense. Insane. And we can't even cover this. This doesn't even get cut. I mean, where can you find this anywhere? Maybe Tucker Carlson. Maybe. But I wanted to read that one story because it's, it's a lot easier to relate with one person, even though the story is by no means unique. It's really easy to relate to one person and just put yourself in that position or put your children in that position and, and, and see what kind of emotional reaction that elicits from you. And then ask yourself, why is this not the biggest story? I mean, this is the biggest story in the country, but why is this not being treated like the biggest story in the country right now? I mean, for Christ's sake, Prince Andrew is implicated in this. <laughs> it's got all you need to be a huge story. But it's just going to fly under the radar. And that is a tragedy in itself. Sometimes doing this shit is really heavy. It's really heavy and it's emotionally sometimes a lot. And um, today is a much different. Uh, students grabbed scissors for defense and escaped out window in deadly Michigan shooting subs- uh, suspect charged with murder. So three, guy, three kids are dead. Uh, this guy, let's just watch this video real quick to give us some context and we'll, we'll go on what's happened since then. A 15-year-old boy is in police custody this morning, suspected of shooting and killing three students and injuring eight others at Oxford High School in Michigan. Preliminary investigation revealed that the weapon used in the shooting was purchased on November 26th, four days ago, by the boy's father. Authorities say they received more than 100 911 calls about the incident. The uh, deputies uh, took a suspect into custody within five minutes of the original 911 call. They recovered a handgun from the suspect. Tate Meir, Hannah St. Juliana, and Madison Baldwin were killed in the shooting, according to the Oakland County Sheriff, all under the age of 17. Another eight people were injured, seven students and one teacher. At least three of the injured are in critical condition. This touches us all personally and deeply and will for a long time. This wound will never go away. An Oxford High freshman took these videos while on lockdown during the shooting in his sign language class. Sheriff's office, safe to come out. 
Yeah, he said it's safe to come out. Now we're not willing to take that risk right now. The students then evacuate, climbing through a window. Aiden Page says he was in the classroom when his teacher took quick action to protect the students sitting inside. We heard two gunshots, and then after that, um, my teacher ran to the room, locked it, we barricaded, and then we covered the windows and hid. The very first thing is, in my head was, this is actually happening. I'm going to text my family, say I love them, just in case if I were to die. Governor Gretchen Whitmer emotional while speaking about the shooting. I think this is every parent's worst nightmare. She also called for efforts to end gun violence. This is a uniquely American problem that we need to address, but at this juncture, I think we need to focus on the community, the families, supporting all the first responders, including the incredible people at our hospitals that are working so hard to save the lives of, of those who are, are fighting for their lives right now. President Biden weighed in on the incident while on a visit in Minnesota. As we learn the full details, my heart goes out to the families enduring the unimaginable grief of losing a loved one. Meantime, in Michigan, the Oxford community is in mourning, stunned by the tragedy that ended three young lives far too soon. They didn't deserve to die tonight, and just everybody who went through it, we're all a family, a community, and I think we really need to go through this together. Okay, so let's discuss this really quick. I mean, this is just, it's hard, man. It's hard to look at this and say, all right, we've got to, is it, and Gretchen Wimmer's not wrong. This is a uniquely American situation. Kids bringing handguns into school. So what happened, and I listened to a few press conferences today, so I want to expand on some things. You saw that video in there. You heard that video of someone knocking out the school door, and everybody's sharing this video that that was the shooter pretending to be a cop. If you listen to that voice, that is clearly not a 15-year-old boy. You know what a 15-year-old boy sounds like, and he doesn't have a voice like mine. Okay, I didn't sound, I didn't have this deep, buttery voice when I was 15 years old, and no one does, especially now. Those soft little kids are a little different now, right? So <laughs> that was actually a cop. Um, the the shooter had already been apprehended, and they have video that that school is actually has a really good uh, video surveillance situation. So they know they they confirmed that kid did not knock on any doors. So he wasn't knocking on doors and tried to get in. I also want to say the police did a, a, a really great job here from everything I've seen. They were there within five minutes, had him apprehended, uh, they got him alive. These are. All things like kudos to the cops for the way they handled this and the teachers barricading the door immediately, getting kids out of windows, like doing everything they could. The way the loss of life was only three, even though that is still a devastating tragedy. Now, this gun was bought four days before this shooting. This kid's dad bought this gun four days before. I don't know why. I'm sure we'll find out. He's being tried as an adult with, I think, a dozen counts of, of gun charges, of course, three counts of murder, as a 15-year-old. This dude's life is is over, and, and rightfully so, but we don't know what this was about. We don't know if it was a bullying situation. We don't, we're going to learn more details, and I will stay in touch with this and see what's going on. But I want to say one thing here, and I have a lot of firearms. You guys know that. I'm a pro-2A guy, um, but I also can acknowledge that we do have a gun problem. I think both can be true at the same time. I think the Second Amendment is incredibly important and our shit's fucked. The, the, like, the most likely scenario, and I could be wrong about this, but the most likely scenario right now 
is that the dude's dad, the kid's dad, I don't even want to say his name. We're not even going to go there. This, this, the shooter's dad was probably negligent with his firearm. He was probably negligent with his firearm, didn't have proper, proper safety protocols in place, which is so fucked up to have a 15-year-old kid. And I want to say this. When I was this kid's age, when I was in seventh grade, okay, so I was 13, this kid that sat right in front of me in, in uh, my Spanish class, him and his brother were fucking around with a deer rifle in their parents' closet that wasn't secured, and he shot himself on accident and died. Tragedy. And that happens a lot. It happens more often than you want to see because people aren't as responsible as they need to be, and kids this age are dumb, and they don't think about the consequences of their actions. I've done some dumb shit when I was a younger kid with guns. And what that does to me is say, hey, I mean, my wife and I already are putting protocols in place. We're doing IVF, so we'll probably have an infant in the next year, hopefully, knock on wood, are already putting protocols in place for gun safety in our house, including fingerprint scanning safes and everything, ammunition, guns, everything locked up. And serious, serious conversations about the consequences. Would that make a difference with this kid? I would think so. This thing was locked into a safe that he didn't have a combination to. Well, now he doesn't have access to the gun. But we don't know. We don't know what was going on. This this kid's dad could have been a a psychopath and encouraged him to do this. We don't know. We're going to find out. But if this would remind us of anything, is to treat these things seriously. Lock your shit up. Gun safety within the home is the most important gun safety. It's not when you're out hunting and everybody knows they're loaded. It's not when you're at the range and everybody knows the range is hot. Okay? Then you know. It's when you're at home and you're not thinking about it. And you got a pistol sitting out and you don't leave the slide open. And maybe you leave the magazine in it. You know what I mean? And maybe something happens. And with this kid... Goes into this school with a pistol and three 15-round magazines and some extra ammo on top of that. So that shows premeditation. Goes into the bathroom, loads the gun there, takes the gun out, whatever. Comes out the bathroom and starts shooting people. Now a 17, a 16, and a 14-year-old are dead. And 11 other people are injured. Or 8 other people, excuse me, 8 other people were injured. Tragedy. And... I think there is some regulation that could be done here. And some states are doing this where you have to prove that you have an adequate storage solution for your firearms. I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea, especially with so many quick access pistol specific handgun specific safety um, vaults. Smart tech has some or smart vault. I think it's called where it's a customized code. Kids are, can not get into it. It can stay by your bed And you can access that thing quick with your eyes closed. But it keeps them away from your kids. Like there's so many solutions and they're not that expensive. 30, 40, 50 bucks. (laughs) I don't want to sit here and preach gun safety. But if this was due to negligence, if this was due to that kid's dad being irresponsible with a firearm, he's culpable in this. And I firmly believe that. 
This kid's walking in with a three fifteen round mags, and I think it was 12 extra bullets that he had thrown in his backpack. And it's all we know. But it's a noose, and that's getting covered. So right now, let's just keep it heated. I'm going to give you something to think about. This one might be a little incoherent, but we're going to do our best. Because I was um, curious about inflation and, and how the stock market was going to do with this increasing, um, this tapering of money printing, which is kind of long overdue now. And I was thinking about this, and I was watching uh, Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, talk, talk about what was going on and that rates are about to rise. That's good. I mean, that's been necessary, right? It's, it's We can't keep burning this midnight oil forever. Right? We're burning the candle at both ends. We've got inflation concerns on top of inflation concerns. You've got companies boasting higher profits than they had in 2019 pre-COVID uh, due to the fact that they've now, we've normalized the conversation of everything being more expensive and every corporation is taking advantage of that and, and price gouging their people even though they have less money because now they are comfortable paying more for things because of the, the, the discourse around inflation. A lot of things happening at one time. So we have inflation plus greed equals super fucking high prices and everybody in the working class getting fucked as per usual, the American way. So we had um, someone questioning Janet Yellen. I don't remember who the guy was and it really honestly doesn't matter. But what he was saying is that you have these prices going up for food, gas, insurance, housing prices, the essentials, things that you have to have to live an, an adequate life in American society. These prices are rising. And we haven't seen employee wage increases. Now, now workers have a lot more leverage, but we haven't seen the standard wage increase in 30 years. While at the meantime, the average CEO makes 351 times the, the wage, the salary of the average earner in that company. 350 some odd times. Now, if you think that that person is 350 times as valuable to the organization as your worker, I got a bridge to sell you. And my thought was this, right? When Janet Yellen was asked about this, right? We've seen these, these CEOs continue to give themselves wages, continue to, uh, to create, continue to increase their salaries. And I thought about this because at the end of the day, profits are kind of a zero-sum game. And Kelly and I, with our business, talked about this last night as we were a little bit high. I was thinking about how, when I look at our company, we have people within our company that are fucking incredible. People that are editing. The person who's editing, editing this video right now is vital to our company's existence. And all the time when we have discussions about finances, I'm having a discussion about how I can pay them more, how we can pay them more, right? To, for their wages to meet their value. And we do everything we can. And I would hope that they can attest to that. We'll see. But... I keep thinking about this, and I'm like, it is a zero-sum game. Because we could take more money out of this business. We could. We could make it work. We may slow business growth down. And we could also convince our employees that they should be grateful to us for having a job instead of us being grateful for them doing a great job. Right? You can play that game. 
And it seems like that's the game that most corporations play. Where they think, since they set the, they set the wages, right? They decide who gets paid what, that they've earned more, but their workers haven't. And so when Janet Yellen was asked about how they're addressing the issue that the working class can now not afford, can now not afford, people with full-time jobs can't afford to live in this country. Asked what she was doing about that, she brought up the Build Back Better plan and how government was subsidizing, was subsidizing child care, child tax credit, and similar programs, right? Expansion of the welfare state, as conservatives would say. And I found myself in a very politically homeless position on this. Because on one hand, my initial thought was, why in the fuck is that the government's responsibility? Why is it the government's responsibility to take care of Walmart's workers? Why are 50% or whatever it is now, the numbers changed, it used to be 60, somewhat, a huge number of Walmart employees are receiving government-subsidized benefits. Why is that? When you have full-time workers that can't afford to live in your country. That's where we're at as a, as a nation right now. We need to address that. So part of me was in this weird place where I said, why is it the government's responsibility? That's a right-wing position, right? And then I think, but these CEOs and the C-suite has increased their salaries year over year for decades while the working class has gotten fucking hosed. So why don't we put our attention to fixing that fucking problem? Why don't we normalize realizing that profits are a zero-sum game and those profits should lead to higher wages for workers? First, first priority, take care of your workers. Why isn't that the narrative? And that's a left-wing position. So when you really dive into all the things that are true at one time in this cauldron of fuckery that we call a country... We can see that what you have is a handful of people pulling the strings and everybody else suffering for it. Now you have what my friend the other day called smart investors, i.e. BlackRock, overpaying for housing, driving the prices through the fucking roof, and then turning us into a nation of renters by buying subdivisions that people can't afford because they're paying over market value. Which then does what? Drives prices up. And then you say, Biden's inflation crisis. Well, I also call that capitalism, right? Which has glaring flaws that the conservatives don't want to address. And then also, let's address the fact that over here on the left, you get a bunch of people that want to keep these other people on the tit instead of addressing the corporate greed that's creating poverty within our working class. Why is that not addressed? Why is that not a common conversation? Why do you have to vote for Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump to even find somebody who addresses these issues in rhetoric at least? It's insane. So maybe last night, while I was high, watching Janet Yellen, I just reaffirmed my political homelessness. And do I have the answers? No. But at least I gave you something to think about. Thank you guys for being here today. I appreciate it. Join the Patreon. 
No, it wasn't. A, I know it wasn't a high vibe show today, but we'll bring it back. Maybe the Patreon episode this week will be high vibe. We had some really fun questions in there this week already. But until next time, keep your head on straight. And I love you. Bye-bye.